risky at the moment kind of thing. You're, when, you're, you're, when you're doing it, you're, it's an adrenaline rush. A graffiti writer's message after being arrested for dangerously trespassing in a SkyTrain tunnel. Plus... Breaking the news here that the game's canceled. Fan reaction after tonight's Canada men's soccer game is canceled over a contract dispute. He tried to overtake all the vehicles on the shoulder. Um, I seen he was getting really close to the children. And what the victim of a hit and run at a residential school march says police need to do. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. The abrupt cancellation of today's anticipated Canada men's friendly World Cup game with Panama at BC Place Stadium just hours before the match was set to kick off. Soccer Canada holding a news conference a short time ago, apologizing to fans for the last minute cancellation after a contract dispute with team players and their national sports governing body. They also addressed the possibility Thursday's game against Carousel is in jeopardy as well. Canada Soccer is very disappointed the men's national team players' decision to refuse to play today. We would like to firstly apologize to all of our Canada Soccer fans and reaffirm our gratitude to you for your continued support. I am sorry that this game did not occur today. With regards to the Curaçao game, today was a friendly that is a separate set of rules and situations compared to an official Nations League CONCACAF sanctioned competition. If we cannot arrive at a deal and the players refuse to play the Curaçao match, that will be a CONCACAF issue to address under the auspices of FIFA. That last-minute decision to cancel coming as thousands of soccer fans were heading into BC Place Stadium, leaving them suddenly high and dry. Paul Johnson has that part of the story. Well, there wasn't a soccer game Sunday. There was this thrilling PR debacle to watch. You just bought your tickets? Yeah, we got it right now. Okay, you guys are excited. Absolutely. This is the first time when I see this nation playing. Less than an hour before it got cancelled, fans were patiently in line buying tickets. Though the smartphone savvy set were on to something, all wasn't well in the world of elite Canadian soccer. There's talk uh, there might not be a game. Although I just bought tickets 10 minutes ago. We're going to do everything as usual, everything as usual, until we find out. But the clock was ticking. More fans were showing up from places across the province, and nothing remotely official until this. Well, I think it's a joke. It's a waste, a waste of all these people's time. We got up early this morning and drove to Nanaimo from Port Alberni, took the ferry over here. Now we'll take the ferry back, so it's a whole day of travel to uh, see nothing. Breaking the news here that the game's canceled. That's not. Yeah. So the labor dispute that we were just talking about has spilled over to today, and the players have backed out of today's game. It's the second embarrassment for Canada's World Cup qualifying team. This game was meant to be a make-good for the sold-out match against Iran that got cancelled because of politics. While the players issued a statement apologizing to the fans, some were sympathetic, others felt they'd been snubbed. And you can only imagine what this does to build excitement for the World Cup and the future of the sport. 
It's not going to be a game. How do you feel about that? Sad. At BC Place Stadium, Paul Johnson, Global News. And sports anchor Asa Raymond will have more on this developing story coming up in his sportscast. Right now, though, transit police are investigating a shocking video recently posted online showing two graffiti taggers allegedly breaking into a Burnaby Skytrain tunnel. Kristen Robinson has more on what happened, including a first-hand account from one of the taggers. Liam Dunn says he posted the chilling video to YouTube in May. Two men, one armed with bolt cutters, enter the guideway below the SkyTrain tracks in Burnaby. Yo! All of a sudden, I just had an urge to just go out and do it again. The pair climbs into the tunnel, using a flashlight to navigate the confined space as traffic passes by below. At one point, in a death-defying move, an overhead grate is opened several meters above the busy highway. Excited, you know, in taboo, not really, not really supposed to be doing that kind of thing, so we're not really thinking about the whole consequences of getting injured. Netting also unzipped to access more of the darkened tunnel before the tagging begins on a lower ledge. So here's a moment kind of thing you're, when, you're, you're, when you're doing it, you're, it's an adrenaline rush and just you're out, out, out with your buddies, you know, trying to, you know, compete with each other who's got the better style, right? The spray paint spreading to the grate and walls. I don't already have many regrets, right? It's, it is what it is. I did what I did. Metro Vancouver Transit Police are investigating the graffiti break-in to the guideway between Production Way and Lake City Station. One suspect has been arrested and detectives are working to identify the second. Charges of break-and-enter and mischief are being recommended. Yeah, I got arrested. Um, they came to my place. I wouldn't say it was worth it, uh, depending on what I'm going to be charged with. Police say the only ones at risk of injury would be the taggers themselves who also shared footage of their illegal stunt to a Vancouver graffiti writer's Facebook group with the caption, Check this out. Super nook. Chill spot. While Dunn says he has no regrets, he does have this advice. Don't do what I did. If anybody's watching. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, for the second straight day, there has been a killing in Metro Vancouver. First two people were gunned down Saturday in Richmond. Now, early this morning, a man has died at the hands of another, this time in East Vancouver. Catherine Urquhart has the details. Behind the crime scene tape, investigators collect evidence following Vancouver's sixth homicide of the year. A 23-year-old man is dead after being stabbed early Sunday morning. Around 3 a.m., I heard this blood-curdling noise, you know, and screaming from the girl, and, and I thought I was dreaming. And the guy was same thing. He was just screaming as well with the blood-curdling stuff. Neighbors say they called 911, and police were on scene moments later. Some officers performed CPR. Others took a suspect into custody. 27-year-old man has been arrested. He remains in custody. Um, the suspect and the victim were known to each other. Police aren't saying if the suspect and victim are related. Neighbors believe they moved into the area only recently, and the murder has left them shaken. Our neighborhood is really quiet and mostly, you know, uh, older people, and uh, they're very friendly. Vancouver police offered some reassurance, saying they don't believe there's reason to be fearful. 
these two did know each other, so we believe it's a it's a targeted and a an isolated incident that was just between these two men. Uh, so we don't believe there's a, a risk to the public right now. Anyone with relevant surveillance video from the area is asked to contact VPD. So far, no charges have been laid in the case. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A dramatic scene in a Surrey neighborhood yesterday when a truck was left in an alleyway and set on fire. Whoa. Back up. This happened near 96th Avenue and Town Line Diversion. Residents tell Global News they heard an explosion, and when they ran outside, they found the burning vehicle. It's one of the hallmarks of the aftermath of a gangland hit, but police have not confirmed if it's connected to any homicide investigations, including the double fatal shooting in Richmond on Saturday. But neighbors in the area say another vehicle was dumped and torched in the same region after the fatal gangland, gangland attack at Vancouver International Airport airport last year. Eight residents are homeless after an early morning house fire in Vancouver. Flames and smoke were seen pouring out of a two-story home near Collingwood Street and West 29th Avenue at about 4.30 this morning. The blaze started inside a bathroom fan and quickly spread into the roof. Firefighters were able to contain the flames to the second floor and everyone was able to get out of the home safely. Very fast action of the crew to get in here, lay their line once they're here and then uh, call for additional resources because it took a while for the number of uh, crews to finally get the fire because it had spread uh, horizontally across the uh, roof line as well as going up in the roof line. Coquitlam RCMP are looking for the public's help to apprehend a woman wanted on a Mental Health Act warrant. 27-year-old Kayla Kelly is known to frequent downtown Vancouver and was last seen Saturday afternoon at a psychiatric treatment facility in Coquitlam. Kelly is accused in a random hypodermic needle attack in the downtown east side in March. Police say a woman was walking near Maine and Pender when a stranger stuck a needle in her leg. Kelly was arrested and charged with assault with a weapon. Police say she may behave in a way that presents a risk to herself or the public. If you see her, do not approach her. Instead, call 911. Coquitlam RCMP's arson unit is looking into a fire that may have been deliberately set at a school overnight. Crews were called to a fire at Coquitlam Alternative Basic Education Program in the 1400 block of Foster Avenue early Saturday morning. Firefighters were able to quickly extinguish the flames. There were no injuries. However, there does appear to be some damage and parts of the school are behind police tape. And Coquitlam RCMP are also investigating a late-night stabbing near an elementary school. Around 1 o'clock Saturday morning, police responded to the park area of Central Elementary School to reports of a stabbing. Police say the victim was reportedly stabbed by a group of unknown assailants. The victim was able to get away and call 911. Officers arrived and located the victim, who was rushed to hospital. Anyone with information or CCTV footage is asked to call Coquitlam RCMP. The flood watch continues across the province this weekend with increasing snow melt and periodic heavy, heavy rainfall. The regional district of Kitimat-Stikine has declared a local state of emergency and an evacuation order including for the small communities of Old Remo, New Remo, due in part to localized flooding. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is joining us now for the latest. So Yvonne, when might we see the peak of these rising waters? A lot of areas continue to rise and peak as we get in towards our Monday, Tuesday and some of the smaller watersheds have actually 
actually peaked today in the southern interior. And with that, it's been downgraded to a high stream flow advisory for the southern interior. The areas of concern that are underneath the flood watch that it still extends for areas near the Skeena. We're looking at it to the northeastern corners of the province. And that's Monday leading in towards our Tuesday. I've taken this river, this graph rather, just to show us the peak of it will likely be over the next two days. Rather, that should say Monday into Tuesday. And that's what we'll be continuing to watch. So these are the next two days that we're having that. And the areas that are underneath the flood watches of the river levels are rising and will ex- approach or may exceed bankful. High stream flood advisory, though, for many areas across the province, it's really the warmer temperatures that have increased that snow melt. So we'll watch that for many spots. We still have an additional rainfall for a few spots as we track the risk of thunderstorms. I'll have those areas when I come back very shortly. Nithu? All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne. The province is set to announce its plan for heat preparedness and heat alerts this summer at a news conference tomorrow. BC's Public Safety Minister will join Health Minister Adrian Dix at the legislature for the afternoon briefing. In March, Mike Farnworth said an automated alert system will be in place starting this month to notify residents of dangerously high temperatures like last summer's fatal heat dome. A record-breaking heat wave claimed the lives of at least 595 people. The largest number of deaths, at least 526, recorded during the June 25th to July 1st heat dome when temperatures hit the high 30s and 40s in numerous communities. Coming up, hit while honoring survivors. We're up here where all this dirt and gravel is. Coming up onto the road, he ended up just hitting me right here. One of the victims in this hit and run at a march honoring residential school survivors calls for charges to be laid. Plus, we're out here trying to make sure that overnight workers go home safe. The demonstration demanding more protections for overnight workers. In mission, two men who say they were among four people struck by a truck while taking part in a residential school march on Saturday want the driver located and charged. It's a disturbing incident that RCMP have described involved an impatient driver. Kamel Kermali has more and a warning. The following story includes disturbing images. See that, that truck did something over there. That something was hit four people taking part in a march in mission, according to RCMP. Running over, kid. Sending two of them to hospital for minor injuries. The march honoring victims and survivors of residential schools had dozens of people making their way down Lougheed Highway to St. Mary's Residential School. It stalled traffic, but one driver appeared to take matters into his own hands. Truck came off here, came off the road. Troy Ingraldi says he tried to stop the driver, but he was hit by the vehicle. This bumper hits me right here on this side. I go down, I hit the road. Ingraldi was taken to hospital. Witnesses tell Global News the driver continued to swerve into the oncoming traffic lane and the gravel shoulder to make his way around the marching crowd. I got hit along the side right in here. Ashton Edwards says he tried to slow down the driver before he was clipped as well. It's very upsetting. Um, It's almost heartbreaking. I mean, since it's happened, it's the only thing I've thought about. To see somebody charging up behind in in a truck knowing that there's women and children and other people in this march. You know, their lives were in jeopardy. 
the truck driver eventually sped off. Mission RCMP say they believe the driver was upset because his trip was delayed. There is no indication that this incident was targeted or that the driver's actions had anything specifically to do with the people marching or their cause, something these organizers don't believe to be true. The driver said that you need to stop with this march. Um, They're tired of this marching. Now, videos circulating online, RCMP say they hope to learn more about the driver's intentions after they make an arrest. Kamal Karamali, Global News. An overnight demonstration took place outside a convenience store on Commercial Drive this weekend, calling for the province to improve protections for overnight workers at stores and gas stations. The protest honoured Grant DePady, a gas station attendant who was run over and killed by a driver attempting a gas and dash back in 2005. In response, the province introduced Grant's Law, a set of safety rules for overnight workers. But a few years later, the province removed the requirement for at least two employees to work the night shift or for safety barriers to be put in place. Protesters want to see that rule come back. We're out here trying to make sure that overnight workers go home safe. Our big mission and our value is is that everyone deserves to be safe on the job and everyone should be able to go home. Volatile gas prices in parts of Metro Vancouver hitting a new record high this weekend. At some gas stations, motorists were having to pay 236.9 a litre to fill up their gas tanks. Metro Vancouver's gas prices are now the highest in all of North America, which is forcing some people to change their driving habits. We're pretty well stuck at home. The only time we come out is Sunday morning to do shopping and um, pretty much hide at home. It's really can't go visiting, you know, it can't go anywhere, can't plan anything basically. So we're just, we have cabin fever. Vancouver Council is set to enact amendments to the city's single-use cup bylaw on Tuesday. Since January, Vancouver businesses have been required to charge a 25-cent fee on every beverage served in a disposable cup. In March, Council approved changes, including exempting free drinks and requiring food vendors to accept clean, reusable cups by July 1st, giving customers the option to avoid the fee and reduce single-use waste. The city says the cup fee only applies to single-use cups and businesses should not be charging customers who bring in reusable cups. Still ahead, an emotional tribute. My worst nightmare is having another attack like this happen again. How friends and relatives are marking one year since the deadly attack on a Muslim family in London, Ontario. Plus, what BC's new cash infusion into farmers market programs might mean for you. Seaborn musician Jacob Hogard has been convicted of sexually assaulting an Ottawa woman in the fall of 2016, but was acquitted of sex-related charges involving a teenager. A Toronto jury found the former Headley frontman guilty of sexual assault causing bodily harm in a November 2016 incident. But he was found not guilty on the same charge stemming from an alleged incident with a 16-year-old fan in April of 2016. Hogard was also acquitted of sexual interference in relation to an alleged incident with the same fan when she was 15. The 37-year-old singer pleaded not guilty to all three charges when the trial began on May 5th. Residents in London, Ontario are marking a tragic anniversary. One year ago today, the Afsals, a Muslim family, took an evening stroll together after dinner, only to be fatally struck by a truck in what's being called a hate-driven attack. 
only a young boy survived. His father, mother, sister and grandmother all killed. Global's Abigail Beeman reports. Last year, I would never be able to understand how all it took was one act of hatred to change my entire life. A life where I now have a gaping wound left in my heart. Where my one year Yumna since Issa Islam lost her 15-year-old cousin Yamna Afzal and Mariam Al-Sabawi lost her dear friend. The grief is overwhelming. So much so that at times I'm no longer recognizable to those who love me. And at times not even recognizable to myself. Afzal was out for an evening walk with her parents, grandmother, and little brother when a truck jumped the curb and hit the family, killing four of them. There is only one child left, 10 years old, which is making all the community here in, uh, in sorrow. And, um, and, and uh, we're, still, we're still really, we're still really uh, upset. Police called it a hate-motivated crime. The family targeted simply for being Muslim. Nathaniel Veltman is charged with four murders and one attempted murder, terrorism charges added later. His trial set for the fall of 2023. When I think of Quebec City and London a year ago, there are a couple of young men who will hopefully never again see the light of day from inside their prison cells. The Prime Minister among many who spoke to the crowd in London to kick off a memorial march, just one of multiple events to remember the family this week and call for change. Do not allow the progress to be measured only on the anniversary of our city's darkest hour, on some annual basis rather. Our progress must be measured daily. There's a lot of work that needs to be done when it comes to combating Islamophobia. Because, uh, you know, if you look at it from a practical sense, we've had many meetings, many things going on, but uh, nothing much has happened uh, on a practical note. Teenagers who a year ago were sending late night texts with their friend and chatting about Harry Potter, now battling to end Islamophobia. My worst nightmare is having another attack like this happen again. With so much hate to fight and no clear path to stop it. Abigail Beeman, Global News. Ottawa. Former BC politician and businessman Jack Weisgerber has passed away. A family statement says Weisgerber died on Friday, surrounded by his family in North Vancouver. He served as MLA for Peace River from 1986 to 2001. In a tweet, Premier John Horgan says he dedicated much of his life to serving British Columbians. His family says he was also an avid skier and fisherman. Weisgerber was 81 years old. Coming up, a hidden history. A better understanding of what happened so we can make sure that never happens again. The calls for greater education and action on this National Indigenous History Month. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. More financial support coming for a nutrition program aimed at improving the health and well-being of British Columbians. The province is investing $12 million for the BC Farmers Market Nutrition Coupon Program. The program encourages people to buy nutritious and locally grown food geared towards lower income people who are pregnant and seniors. Those eligible will receive $27 of coupons per week for 16 weeks to help them purchase local produce like vegetables, fruits, dairy and poultry.
According to the government, the program will benefit nearly 9,000 households, reaching almost 25,000 people. Every dollar in the coupon program is offering support twice. First, all across the province, coupon users are able to buy healthy local food for themselves and their families. And then those same dollars are supporting local farmers and their families. Just nice to have local. Like your, your food's coming fresh. It's uh, not being carted by a truck. Here's an interesting sight. A furry friend seeming to get lost in the big city. Is that your deer? A deer seemingly took a wrong turn trotting along Ash and 8th Street along earlier this afternoon in Vancouver. Michelle Queaton tells Global News she called Wildlife Rescue, but they were unable to help as they only deal with birds. She's hoping someone else called the right rescue, and it's unclear if the deer did end up finding its way home. Oh, wow. Glad that was caught on Aww. video so we could see it. And here's to hoping the deer did indeed make its way to the wilderness. Speaking yes. of the wilderness, meteorologist Yvonne Shell is back. What can we expect if we want to get outside and enjoy the great outdoors? Oh, we are going to see some dry days and some sunshine in the mix, but we need to get past this evening and leading in towards the morning hours. So a heads up for back to work and school when you're heading out for the early morning hours. Right now, though, we are tracking rainfall out of the airport. Temperatures are currently at 16 degrees. We've got a southwesterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. And there's that wave of moisture with some heavier pockets as especially extending in towards the Fraser Valley for Abbotsford and Chilliwack. And it's similar across the island. Even areas near Victoria are seeing some waves of heavier rain. And that's what we'll be tracking for this evening, tapering off to showers overnight tonight. We do have a few lightning strikes that have popped up for both the central and southern interior. We can see that even in towards the southern interior, that line right now, that's with very windy conditions. And we're also still going to hang on to a bit of instability for the southern interior tomorrow. Slight chance for some showers and the risk of a thunderstorm will pop up for the afternoon and early evening. Now, for Metro Vancouver overnight tonight. Chance of showers. We'll see that for the early morning hours. A clearing is on the way with some sunshine in the mix as we get in through the afternoon. And highs tomorrow between 16 away from the water getting up to 19 degrees. Flood concerns once again for the BC River Forecast Centre. We still have flood watch for many areas into the central and northeastern corners of the province. And with the flood watch, river levels are rising and will approach or may exceed bankful. And that's what we're watching very closely with the peak of it either into Monday and a few spots leading in towards our Tuesday. Now, the northern half of the province, coastal areas tomorrow will still see showers inland with smithers getting up to 17 degrees. The instability is there for the central and southern interior through the afternoon and early evening is when we're looking at the risk of thunderstorms. So that's additional rainfall for all areas into the southern half of the province and very windy conditions with those winds ramping up, sustained at around 20, but we're looking to see gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Whistler with a few showers in the mix and highs up to 16 degrees and along the south coast. So a bit of a wetter start to our morning with that chance for some showers. We'll hang on to a fair bit of cloud cover. And then as we get in through the afternoon, we've got a clearing on the way. And areas away from the water, we'll see highs closer to 19 degrees. Now, highlighting Tuesday, I like to pick the bright spot. That'll be when we'll see the sunshine temperatures even away from the water. We're hoping to get up to 24 degrees. Get out and enjoy Tuesday. It's as we get in towards the evening. Rain starts to pick up and it'll be soggy towards our Wednesday onwards. So we are going to see a nice clearing for the afternoon tomorrow and plenty of sunshine so far on our Tuesday. Nithu? Tuesday's the day. Okay, thanks Yvonne. The Platinum Jubilee celebrations in the UK have wrapped up. Queen Elizabeth had taken it easy on Friday and Saturday, and there were concerns she wouldn't be able to cap off the events in person. But as Redmond Shannon reports, she did end up waving to the crowds. A day designed for a queen could hardly have started in a more British way. 
Charles and Camilla, tea and cake and bagpipes in a cricket stadium. Some grey London skies too, but in the capital at least, the rain held off. Of course, not every event can welcome royalty. Tens of thousands of street parties like this one are happening in communities right across the UK. On the Isle of Dogs in East London, community groups organised the opening of an orchard to coincide with the Jubilee. I think for most it's an occasion to get out and be in the community and chat. The, the Jubilee is part of it. Many residents in this social housing project have roots in countries across the Commonwealth. Ahmed Hussein's family emigrated from Bangladesh when he was four. But because our ancestors worked directly under the royals, that has a direct influence and uh, they speak highly about them. But the next generation, there's a split. But there was no split around Buckingham Palace, thousands lining the mall for the Jubilee's grand finale, a parade of lavish pageantry reflecting the Queen's seven-decade reign, starring the Royals' 260-year-old Gold State coach, featuring a digital projection of the young Queen from her coronation day in 1953. Then the moment everyone had been waiting for. After two days rest, while the nation partied, a final wave from the 96-year-old monarch, flanked by three future kings, Charles, William and little George. Visibly slowed by her persistent mobility problems, Elizabeth's short salute set smiles on faces across the crowd. At 96, royal revelers are cherishing every appearance. Had she not done so, it would firstly have underlined the fact that she was extremely frail and also there would have been, I think, a great deal of disappointment. Afterwards, the Queen issued a statement thanking everyone for the tributes and reassuring them she will continue to serve, supported by her family. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. All right. Asa Raymond is here for a preview, preview of what's coming up in sports. And maybe we have a few extra viewers tonight. Those yeah. who were planning to go to see a game that got cancelled. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That Canada-Panama game was supposed to be at BC Place today. It was cancelled at the last minute. And I'll let you know what the players are requesting as far as this contract dispute is going. And uh, how they responded, how Canada Soccer responded as well. So a lot coming up in sports. All right. Thanks very much for that, Asa. Also ahead, the impact of Canada's colonial past. The solution to unlocking those problems is a better understanding of the past. Ways to learn and support National Indigenous History Month. Stay with us. The unique histories and cultures of First Nations, Inuit and Métis people have often not been recognized. Thirteen years ago, the House of Commons declared June as National Indigenous History Month. And as more people become aware of abuse and injustices the communities have faced, many are calling for greater education and action. Global Charmin Samani reports. The full history of Canada hasn't always been taught. Lessons about colonialism, genocide and residential schools have often been left out 
or breezed over. But as we enter National Indigenous History Month, it can be a good time to start questioning what we've been taught. If something is always presented to you as truth, um, if you're only really hearing one side of the story, maybe that's an indication to dig a little bit deeper. Native Studies professor Crystal Gale Fraser says there are a variety of resources available to help you look more into the relations Canada has had with its First Nation, Inuit and Métis people. Historica Canada, the Canadian Encyclopedia and 150 Acts of Reconciliation all contain the ongoing history of the community's relations for good and bad. And while those resources exist, more still needs to be done on a regular basis to educate children and adults. There are opportunities within public libraries. There's lots of information that can be accessed online. The schools could be doing, you know, just even just a little 10-minute information session about it. Karen Joseph is the CEO of Reconciliation Canada, a nonprofit organization working to bridge the gap between Indigenous communities and all Canadians. She says along with education, there are opportunities for people to really help. Perhaps I have some specialized skill that I could volunteer for an, for an Indigenous organization to help level up some of the work that they're doing. Donating to Indigenous organizations, not-for-profit organizations, is significant. The hope is over time, as more education is brought in and more work is done to foster understanding, Canada will learn from its past and move forward. The solution to unlocking those problems is a better understanding of the past, a better understanding of what happened, so we can make sure that never happens again. Sharmin Samani, Global News. Asa's back with the full sports cast after this break. Also ahead, creating a career in comics. I am a Yukon First Nations, and I want it to be done right. How this Indigenous artist is taking an approach no one else has. questions that need to be answered here. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. But at the end of the day, we talk, and where we talk is right here at CKNW. Don't miss the BC Lions home opener. BC Lions face Edmonton for the season kickoff on June 11th. Catch pregame festivities including a concert by Grammy-nominated One Republic, the BC Lions Backyard Street Party, and an exciting new halftime performance by the dance team. Head to Britannia Mine Museum this summer and visit the exhibit that reflects on how Britannia residents enjoy their recreational life during the mining days and how social gatherings strengthen the remote community. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you in part by Return It. Make sure to bring back your drink containers to a Return It Express. It's easy. There's no sorting and no lineups. All right, Asa's here for the full sports cast, and there's probably a fair bit of disappointment out there for fans who wanted to watch a game that was canceled at the last second. Yeah, unfortunately, my sister, one of those oh, as well. No. I was getting texts from her this morning. Oh, Is this game going to happen? Is this happening? Yeah. Yeah, so um, we'll get into this situation a little bit now, and I uh, just want to let you know that the players... They're just players and they don't have a union or a union rep. So this is uh, all pretty tricky for them. They're on this fight, in this fight on their own. So according to a letter from the players addressed to Canada Soccer, which was released earlier this afternoon, the players stated that they initiated contract discussions with Canada Soccer in March 
and that an offer wasn't presented until June 2nd, just Thursday. The two sides had discussions about a deal yesterday and couldn't come to an agreement. The strongly worded letter from the players states that they want transparency and a review of the Canadian soccer business agreements, a leadership team that can optimize and generate revenue from the team's recent success, an equitable structure with the women's national team, and the development of a women's domestic league. And finally, they want World Cup compensation that includes 40% of the prize money as well as more support for friends and family for the 2022 World Cup. And here is how CSA President Nick Bontis responded to the letter. If we as an association only had the men's team and the women's team to take care of and nothing else, no futsal, no beach, no para, no U20, no U17, no U15 on both sides. No coaching development programs, no referee development programs, no national championships. We could still not afford this proposal. It is untenable as written. All right, to hockey now. Game four, Lightning looking to avoid going down 3 0 in their series with the Rangers. It wasn't looking good for the home fans in the second period. Nikas Zibanejad scores his 10th of the postseason to give the New York Rangers a 1 0 lead. Now, a couple minutes later, it's Chris Kreider getting his 10th of the season to double the lead for the Rangers. So the big time players showing a big for New York. Tampa Stars would have to answer. And they did for the Lightning. First, Nikita Kucherov scores in the power play to make it 2-1, heading into the third. And in the final period of regulation, the third, that is, Steve Stamkos strikes for Tampa to tie this game 2-2. And then with under a minute to go, Andre Palat completes the comeback. Tampa Bay scoring three straight to get the 3-2 win. The series now 2-1 for the Rangers. Today, the oldest French Open champion just added another Grand Slam to his record total. Two days after his 36th birthday, Rafael Nadal beat Casper Ruud in his men's final for his 14th championship at Roland Garros. His first triumph coming back in 2005 when he was just 19. Eight seed Casper Ruud playing in his first major. Only winning six games against one of the greatest to ever hold the racket. Nadal winning the opening two sets, 6-3, 6-3. He's now won eight Grand Slams since turning 30. And Nadal closed this match out by winning the final 11 games. No matter woman has won the singles trophy at any major event. More than Nadal's 14 French Open titles. He claims his 22nd career Grand Slam. Nadal was incredible. Once again, winning in straight sets. 6-3, 6-3, 6-love. So he wins the Aussie Open. And now he wins the French Open. Becomes even greater. Well, uh, for me personally, uh, very difficult to to describe uh, the feelings uh, that I have. Uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, I. 
for sure never believed uh, be here at uh, 36, uh, being competitive again, uh, playing in uh, in the most important court of my career one more time. Final means a lot to me. You no, know, means everything. It means a lot of energy to to try to to keep going. Uh, I just uh, want to say merci, merci beaucoup à, à tout le monde ici à, à Paris. Never surprising when he wins. Coquillam's AJ Ewart has won the Jack Nicholas Award as the top NCAA Div 2 golfer. Ewart just finished his junior season at Barry University in Florida, where he recorded seven college victories. Big week for AJ as he got to hang out with Jack. Today, tomorrow, he'll set foot at St. George's Golf Club as he's playing in the RBC Canadian Open. He had a warm up, had a good warm up at uh, Vancouver Golf Club on Wednesday, where he shot nine under 63. He plans on heading back to college for his senior season, where he's majoring in communications. And our Jay Janower had a video call with him earlier today and asked him about meeting the great Jack Nicholas. It's really cool just to be in his presence, and we had the opportunity to ask him. Uh, each of us had the opportunity to ask him a question, so um, he gave me some good advice, and he gave the rest of the guys some really good advice too so um yeah it was really really cool okay so what was your question to mr nicholas i asked him something more like a strategic golf question um it was like i asked him if he always tried to hit the middle of the green on every shot um but he, I, some of the other guys asked questions like what do you do to prepare going into final rounds and leading and you know he he really set aside the time for us and he didn't rush the answers and he sat there and we got to talk to him for like an hour so it was, it was really really cool and at the canada cup wheelchair rugby tournaments at the richmond oval canada was 5-0 heading into their final with japan and that included a win against japan just last night but in the gold medal game canada came up just short ran out of time in the end losing 57 56 in overtime but canada returns to the podium for the first time since 2014 as they earned a silver medal through the goal it feels terrible to be honest. We were right there. We had our opportunities. You know, it was it was yeah, it was in our hands. But um, in the on the other side, you know, it feels good as well. We have a lot of positives to build on. Uh, you know, I couldn't be prouder of this entire organization uh, and this team. Really stepped up, came together. Some of the world's top divers back on tour. Opening leg of the Red Bull World Cliff Diving Series starting. This weekend in Boston, Canada, well represented by Molly Carlson. Carlson, a four-time junior champion in diving. She actually conducted a social media poll asking people if she should attempt to become a diver on the Red Bull World Cliff Diving Series. 99% of the respondents voting yes. And how can you not seeing the style and skill on dives like this? 2.7 million followers on TikTok. Carlson receiving a prick 10 on her final dive. Molly Carlson all smiles, wins the round one of the Red Bull World Cliff Diving Series. Next stop is in Paris. I'm speechless. I mean, I've never dove in front of my family and to go out there and have so much fun, be so proud of what I've done and to do it in front of them was just a dream come true. You know, I've been training indoors a bit and it's always scary coming outside for the first time. So I wanted to prove to myself here that I can do it. I can dive outside well and there it was. <laughs> so very happy. Bring on Paris. No, I'm very excited. I'm excited to continue the momentum and have some fun around the world and just see where this season takes us.
Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun and uh, no chance I would be doing that. Definitely not. No, <laughs> but she definitely proved herself. That was fantastic. Sure. Great energy. Thanks very much, Asa. And coming up, how an Indigenous comic artist is breaking barriers in the business. Stay with us. What to do, what to see, where to eat, where to be. Global BC Community Reporter Michael Newman wants to help you get to know your BC better. Global BC, in your community. Cole Pauls could have gone in any number of directions to share his talents and stories as an artist, but he chose a more modern format to make a name for himself while also inspiring other Indigenous artists. Here's Jay Durant with This is BC. After a lot of hard work, Salmon Run finally hit the shelves. Cole Pauls created the first all-BC Indigenous comic anthology, giving up-and-coming talent a much-needed showcase. Not a lot of people know them out of, like, in the comic community or in Vancouver's art community. Um, so I really wanted to give everyone a spotlight. For the past decade, Pauls has been building on his reputation and success within the industry. His book Pizza Punks was a big hit, followed by Doc Wakata Warriors. It's a, a colonial epic in space. And set in the future, keeping many First Nations traditions in the storyline. Instead of like, you know, they have ray guns or whatever, they have ray atlatls. So like a throwing spear, which is a traditional hunting tool. As a kid, Pauls wanted to work as an animator, but was always bothered by the way Indigenous people were portrayed in TV shows, movies and video games, like the character Turok. Got like a feather in his hair and he's like shirtless and he's got a huge machine gun and it's just like not what i imagined an indigenous person to be it was his drive to share ancestral stories that led to a career in comic books you know i am a yukon first nations and i want it to be done right so you know i just put it in my own hands and, and did it myself i'm paul paul's I'm the curator. His influence is felt at comic festivals where he's addressing audiences and engaging fans. His award-winning creations have landed him a book deal. We have our two uh, heroes, uh, Wolf and Crow. Cole's third comic collection is coming out later this year as he hopes to continue to inspire future artists with his work. I want to show that there are Indigenous people in the comics community, there are Indigenous people in these nerdy cultures, and that like we can carve our own section of this, this culture and make it our own. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, you can email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And before we let you go, a quick final check on the weather and the one day this week. You expect sunshine. <laughs> there is. There's one bright spot in there. Uh, don't forget this evening, though, we still have the risk of thunderstorms. We could see some heavier pockets. It'll be showers for tomorrow morning, a clearing on the way, and then it's Tuesday. That's the bright spot away from the water up to 24 degrees. Wonderful. Thank you all so much for sharing some of your night with us. Krista Dow will be here at 11. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.